was there linen involved? Yeah, there was linen. Uh, yeah, yeah, but it's like a. It, you mean like what do you mean by linen? Hey, folks, and welcome to Brown and Out. Today we're talking to Stefan. Stefan, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm excited um, to get into the conversation. And I'm excited because I don't think this has ever, uh, to my knowledge, uh, in my history at, at this podcast, I don't think I've ever had another guest or another person from St. Louis or the St. Louis area before. So this is a big first for me. I'm very excited um, basically to hear what it was like for you growing up um, in St. Louis if you could just uh, um, illuminate that experience for us. Yeah. So, I mean, it was cool. I liked it. I think, as you know, like everybody, well, you know, in Missouri, um, both of the big cities are on the borders. And so um, that's interesting, right? But I think that St. Louis has a lot of city pride. Like everybody I know from St. Louis is like proud to be from St. Louis, even though we know St. Louis has its, you know, obvious, you know, pitfalls. There is a cultural um, thing for the city. So like, no matter where I go, no matter where my home is, like, I'll always kind of take that with me. I would say like, so like, I feel like I'm pretty interesting when it comes to that, because I grew up on the border. So as you know, St. Louis lies on the Illinois border. And then there's like the county and then there is the Illinois or sometimes they used to call it the East side. Or I don't know what they call it now, but anyway, <laughs> so I grew up on the Illinois border um, in Alton and I also grew up uh, around the fluorescent area. And so growing up, a lot of my cousins lived either in St. Louis, like the, like the city city or within the county, most of them in the county. My best friend was in fluorescent. Uh, my other best friend was in Bellefontaine uh, you know, around the Ferguson, uh, area too. So I spent a lot of time there growing up. And of course, uh, you know, as I came of age, I started to go to some other places, you know, the Grove was a fun place to go. You know, that's where all of the, for those who don't know, that's where all the people who are queer go, you know, um, to, you know, hang out and go to clubs or bars or whatever, see your friends. But yeah, it was cool. And all and one thing about St. Louis that was fun for me was like everything is free. Like the museums are free. Every, everything is free. And I don't know, my dad, I mean, we literally lived like on the border. Like I lived five minutes from the bridge. And so it only took me like 10 minutes to get to uh, Florissant. Um, and that's where I spent a lot of my childhood. And it's like I like lived there, <laughs> you know, so... So yeah, um, I guess that's all I have to say about it. I didn't really go to East St. Louis, <laughs> you know, very much. Um, I felt like there was this like low-key beef between St. Louis people and East St. Louis people. Um, and yeah, so I guess that's that's the majority of it, I guess, until you ask more questions. <laughs> um. So did you find it easy to sort of find a queer 
friend group in that area? Yeah, so luckily for me, I well, I think I was blessed in this area because, as you know, I mean, I know it's technically the Midwest, but like we all know it's like the South, you know, because it's on the Black migration. You know, like my family that migrated there during the second um, great Black migration came from Mississippi. And so that was like our home. Like we went there every year, you know, to our ancestors, like, land and all that stuff anyway um i say all that to say that like some of that conservativeness does come up and is really a vein there in that city and so i think a lot of my peers had like a really hard time but for me like my best friend was well he passed away but my best friend uh at the time was um gay uh my sister is a lesbian or identifies as a lesbian and my other best friend, who's also one of my cousins, is bisexual. So I kind of had, and then my other cousin, who I'm really tight with uh, and hung out with all the time, uh, is like a huge ally. So for me, I kind of had a queer community that I ran around with, which was really helpful because one thing about, like, so at least for me, this is just speaking for me, the urban queer community, Black community, like, um, can be a little catty sometimes if you come in on the wrong way or, you know, if, for example, a lot of young guys back in the day, like, got rejected by their family and so, like, they kind of just had to find somewhere to go and they ended up, like, going into, like, what they call houses and things like that, but, like, you know, kind of being taken advantage of or learning a certain way to, like, communicate and so, for me, I felt like I, I never really was um, engrossed in that way. I was kind of, uh, I kind of had my, like, queer, like, development a little bit differently. So I kind of struggled a little bit when I got into the uh, queer scene with more people from the community. I would say I never really did. I mean, because I had my little micro community, but, but I kind of struggled a little bit because I was really bad at being, like, caddy <laughs> you know and i don't want to i don't want to um associate cattiness with femininity either because I, it's not like you know i'm not saying it was like a feminine or whatever thing because it really wasn't like there was a whole lot of i think the most catty people actually were the ones who identified as mask or whatever these you know these labels that that you know our community likes to throw out and box each other in so yeah so that so it was a little bit of a of a rough spot, but also a blessing for me. And I think I just kind of found my way in it. And I've been kind of going stronger, going strong ever since. But if I didn't have my cousins and my sister to run around with, I think it would have looked a little bit, a little bit different for me. I have a Missouri and an Illinois ID. So I, you could call Okay. Dual yeah. citizenship. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, literally. Yeah. Like I, like I've, yeah, I could take up residency in both at this point, <laughs> but 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 my okay. parents live in my parents live in Southern Illinois right now, so I guess I could call myself an Illinois. Well, I call them an Illinois citizen, but the rest of my family is in St. Louis. So, <laughs> so what um, took you from that area to this area? Well, well, there was a few pit stops along the way, but I actually did service. Um, so I was in, uh, it wasn't, I was actually, I was going to go to the military at one point and I was in ROTC. 
uh, and I was and this was in an undergrad. I was an ROTC. I was ready, getting ready to go, and then I got into a argument with the major, <laughs> you know, because at that time I wanted to go to law school. I thought I did, and because at first I was like, I'm going to be a scientist, because I was like obsessed with bugs as a kid. And anyway, so like I wanted to be a scientist, and then I was like, I'm going to be a chef. So, <laughs> so then I went to try to be a chef, but I was like, I really don't like this. It, like went to Chicago and everything. Got in, got into chef school. Like had my dad drive me up there and got to the dorm and was like, "Yeah, I think I'm good." Like so. Anyway, long long story short, like um, I uh, so long story short, I end up going into humanitarian service because I left the ROTC and I ended up working for the mayor of Kansas City, and that was through humanitarian service. So I was doing his education campaign. Well, while I was doing, I was working on education campaigns called and uh, called uh, Turn the Page KC, and he, it was just getting launched, right? And it was a literacy campaign. I shouldn't say education; it was a literacy campaign. And so, uh, within that time, I made a whole lot of connections, and I really like kind of discovered who I was more professionally. And I would actually say I did a lot of my a lot of my I guess queer stomping as like a young twenty something was in Kansas City. So like I was all over Kansas City as a young queer person, like I was in all the bars and yeah, all that. So, so yeah. More about that, please. We can hang on a second before, before we get into your political career, which is, I know, sterling. Let's, you were stomping around who doing which now? Yeah. So, oh my God, I'm trying to remember the name of this, uh, bar I used to go to all the time and I always mix it up so I but I think it was called Missy B's oh my god I really hope that that's what it's called because I'm gonna look so bad if it's not we're gonna fact check this episode don't worry okay yes let's do it because I I think it was called and I used I used to get it mixed up with this little bar I used to go to back in the day called Bubbies and Sissies and they yeah so I always I but I think it's Missy B's well, anyway, that's like the biggest gay bar in Kansas City, and I would just go in, and we would, I would just have a good time, and I had a friend named Damon, who uh, was, uh, he's out in Cali now, but he uh, was uh, working with me, he was my coworker, and he was in his 40s, and so, and he, and he was from the area, everyone knew him, you know, he had, like, he's got, like, this deep, like, jazzy kind of voice, and so, you know, like, he was staring at people sometimes, and I don't know, we just became fast friends, and so, I just ran around with him and he, sh- and he used to just take me all, all, all over the city and it would be like Tuesday. We get off work and we're like, let's go, you know, let's go have a drink at the bar. You know, it'd be like Sunday. I'm like, Ooh, work tomorrow. Let's go have a little sip at the bar, you know, because it's a community. That's one thing about the queer community. It's like our bars, especially at that time, back at that, because that was like 2014 you know, you you know, that really was like a safe space, you know, just go and have a, a little drink, you know, we used to play games in there, like, we'd go in and it, like, take like $10 and see who could spend the least amount of money, you know, see who we, if we can get guys to pay for our drinks, <laughs> you know, flirt with the bartenders, you know, I don't know, stuff like that. It was fun. It was a good time. It was a good time. And Kansas City is really, it's a lot smaller, smaller than St. Louis. And so it's like, you just kind of feel like you're in this little like ecosystem. So it's easy to get, it's just easy as hell to get anywhere. It's like, you can be like 
I think it was called Westport and then the Plaza and then the, and then Missy B's. It was like all right there. So like you could just jump around. It was fun. It was a good time. I miss Damon. Shout out to Damon, um, wherever you are. Callie, you said, right? In this. Yeah, I think, yeah, he's out in, uh, is it San, San Sacramento, San Diego? One, oh, of the- one of the S's. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And, but, but we were talking about sort of um, moving into how you got into politics, and that was also in Kansas City. Yeah, yeah. So I was part of the Young Democrats uh, of Southern Illinois when I went to undergrad, because I, I went to undergrad in Illinois. Um, and then I sort of kind of got into it then. I was on student government and all that good stuff. And that was kind of fun. And then after that, I went to Kansas City and I got a little bit more involved in politics, but it really wasn't. It was really just, I kind of really wasn't. I was, I had kind of took a little bit of a break. I um, really was focused on literacy, which was sort of political because I did meet a lot of people though, because the program was big. It was just launching. There was a team of eight of us who were all working on it. Um, A lot of us were just coming out of college because it was through AmeriCorps. And so we had an executive director who was older, but it was not a traditional AmeriCorps assignment in that like, you know, a lot of those jobs are like coordinator positions and like why ours was sort of that, like we have pretty decent portfolios. And like, if you really worked hard at it, you really could really make a big impact in the community. And, you know, obviously it was the mayor of the city, it's a big city. So um, I, we, we had a lot of access to just meet different people. And so, yeah, that's kind of what happened with that. The, the, uh, I guess I guess I could say I started to bite my teeth a little bit there around learning how to speak um, and how to frame things in a way that was like inclusive, especially because like I was in a racially sensitive area, right? I had one school that was all black. I had one school that was almost all Hispanic. I think there were like a couple white kids there, you know. Um, and but there was also like it's a white it's a, a lot of white folks in the city so like speaking about these things going to colleges making presentations about the literacy campaign and, and also answering like questions that were like a little problematic from white college students or professors or whoever wanted, whoever because i was trying to bring volunteers and business to the schools so, because the literacy campaign was pretty much um volunteer ran and so you had one person donate an hour of their time a week to like a kind of like a big brother big sister thing to a student to help raise their literacy and it really worked but you know you would ask you get weird questions sometimes like oh that sounds like the hood or like well they like me because I'm white you know these really interesting questions so I think I learned how to kind of cut my I cut my teeth a little bit there around like racially sensitive and politically sensitive conversation (laughs) these were white people asking these questions right okay carry on (laughs) yeah I guess that's it they were definitely white people asking these questions it was um it was interesting sometimes but you know nonetheless it was a growing moment for me and I had a good team I felt safe um, and the executive director was pretty dope, dope guy too. His name was Mike. He was pretty dope. And he really let us just kind of 
spread out. And so anyway, so then my good friend, Pat, who was also one of my mentors, because I um, have a couple learning differences. So like in undergrad, I would like struggle sometimes because of the way things were like laid out. And at that time, I didn't have any formal accommodation. And like, because I kind of, it's like not specifically dyslexia, but it is a reading disability that mimics dyslexia often. And so like she would help me sometimes with my comprehension or with my just stuff like that, like writing certain things. Um, and so anyway, uh, I got a call from her at the end of my service. She was a Peace Corps volunteer and she had heard about this school in Vermont uh, named the School for International Training. And it was where they kind of funneled service people. So if you did AmeriCorps or Peace Corps, sometimes even military service, a lot of folks ended up going there uh, because it had an international, it was an international school, but it also had a lot of domestic students, and its hub was ironically in Vermont. <laughs> so, so I was like, "Oh, that sounds dope." So, like, I looked at it, I applied, I got in, and that's how I wound up here in 2015, five years ago, five, five, oh, five and a half now years ago. It's 2021. Yeah, let's take a look at the calendar because I keep I forget that it's 2021. Yeah. Every day of this new year, obviously, it's new. It, we're working on it. We're working on it. Um, so the school for international training, training, that's right, um, brought you to Vermont. Yeah, it brought me here. It was, uh, it's a master's level granting school. And I actually think they grant um, doctorates now too in international education. But I was focused on the peace building um, and conflict transformation program because I had already been doing so much of that in my previous work. Um, and so I was fascinated on how, how to do that. And I also at that time thought I was going to go overseas to the Peace Corps because, because I had already traveled and studied in Ireland at that time. I had, you know, all kinds of stuff. So, and I like the international perspective. So yeah, it was a cool school, dope, dope place. I encourage people to go on and try to go there. We used to have, um, I don't know if they do it anymore, but you travel outside of the country too when you went to school. So like I lived in Costa Rica for like a little while. I was in the, like literally like the straight up jungle, <laughs> like living there with the iguanas and all the animal kingdom. So, and uh, yeah, I mean, that was cool, but it was a cool place. And I met a lot of like dope ass people there that I'm still friends with to this day from every, I mean, everywhere countries you wouldn't even think of you just like oh i forgot about that country because it was so small on the map and you're like oh damn like you know like people from just any everywhere and one of my best friends is from kazakhstan now so it's really cool well it is an international school yeah yeah and i'm but i'm curious now about um some of your travels you mentioned ireland you mentioned costa rica um, what was, uh, perhaps there are many other lands I don't know about, but what was your favorite place to travel? Ooh, that's hard. I really liked Costa Rica. Ireland was beautiful. Northern Ireland was interesting. <laughs> oh, so I'm dying to know. Northern Ireland has a lot of like political discourse stuff going on because of the troubles there 
and you know that that happened there and like the protestant catholic thing so like that was fascinating just to see i don't know just to see like the history it was just so much history like these murals everywhere it was just fascinating but costa rica was just a good time i mean and when i was in san jose the nightlife the nightlife there was really fun i used to sneak out <laughs> Me and my friends used to sneak out and go to the go to the bars because they're like, oh yeah, because we were you know we were still there for school, so they'd be like, oh we got to teach tomorrow morning, you know yada yada yada, and we're like yeah yeah yeah, so like we would be like out at midnight, going to the bars and it was just really fun. And I met this lady; she was a little bit older. Her name was Maria, and she used to get us into the bars because she had like I guess she was well known. <laughs> we couldn't speak Spanish very well. And she used to like barter our way into the bars. It was fun. It was a good time. So I would say Costa Rica was was a good time. It was also the first place I ever went that had like, like we have Chinese food here, like that we like, you know, order, you can order Chinese takeout. They had Chinese food there, but it was like sweet and tangy. Like, and it was like, so little, little stuff like that was, was cute. And then also- It was like a, a Costa Rican Chinese food fusion kind of vibe maybe yes general so was my favorite but it was not my favorite there <laughs> like it was just like so sweet but yeah it was yeah I'm, I'm trying to think of some other things that we did there that was really dope but i would just say oh the flea markets the flea markets were dope the the very accepting of the gay community the queer community um it was everybody was brown you know, I had Tinder at that time and it was just like pinging, <laughs> you know, so it was a good time. I liked, I liked Costa Rica. I would go back. I would go back. Maybe not that far in the jungle though. Cause I like, let me tell you, those bugs try to take me out and I like bugs, but those bugs try to take me out. And I also saw an iguana beat up a dog. You know, as much as I, like, have a fascination with birds, and if I was, like, if I had a spirit animal, it might be a bird. I definitely <laughs> heights. <laughs> so, terrified of heights. Like, hell no. I'm not, I definitely am not getting on anybody's zip line. I'm, like, not, that would be a horrible way to fall to my death. But I am that friend who would support you. I will go with you. I will cheer <laughs> you on. I will push you off. Like, I'm not going to go. You know, I was so funny. My cousin and I went up to, um, we were up to Chicago. They have like this like pretty affordable, uh, like, what do you call it? Uh, sk skydiving place. Uh-huh. And I talked my shit the whole way up there. <laughs> I'm so excited about this. We're going to jump out. Like everybody was all hyped for it. We got up, there was like five of us. We got up there. They showed us that video, that liability video. And they said, well, you can die this way, you can die that way. If your aren't, if your leg pops out too far over here, you can go into a spin and it might be hard to bring you. And I'm tall, I'm six foot tall. So, and the guy who's getting on my back was five foot seven. I said, how is he going to control my big ass in the air? <laughs> you know, so I said, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing this. And my cousin was like, you're not going to do it. I was like, no, but I will push you out the plane. I will push you out. I will hug you, all the things. So what's happening? Yeah, he ju he jumped out. I didn't. <laughs> you gave him the push? Yeah, I helped him, you know, but I, I said, unless it's life or death, I'm not jumping out this plane. <laughs> and that's your truth, you know, that is, that's true I to who you that. are. Yeah, I was, uh, 
I was I did not know I was that scared of heights. And then I got up there and I was just like, wow, that's a long way down. That's gonna that that would be a horrible that suck. <laughs> I mean, self preservation is key. So right. Um, oh. <laughs> I, that's that's very funny. I am okay. So the school for international training, right? Landed you in Brattleboro, right? Is that where you are to this day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bounced around a little bit. Well, actually, I guess I didn't. I mean, I was in other little areas, but pretty much I've been in Brattleboro this whole time, yeah. Okay. Now, something we spoke about in the pre-interview interview was the difference, I'll say cultural, we can call it that, between Southern and Northern Vermont. So you you know, rep the South. Would you, and then would you call Burlington Northern? Cause that's where I am. Or would you, are you talking more like Northeast Kingdom and other different places? Um, but also, yeah, let's just generally talk about um, the, <laughs> the different uh, Vermonts as it were. Yeah, well, so I guess I would call it all Northern Vermont, but then again, I'm also like, this kind of, kind, of go, kind of goes back to the St. Louis thing, where it's like growing up in the St. Louis area and like literally like having, you know, zip code, 314 and 618 zip codes sort of thing, or not zip codes, but area codes. It's kind of one of those things where Chicagoans always like, like it was like a thing. It was like Chicago versus St. Louis. And so I think for me, like, I just, when I see a state that's like long like that, it reminds me of like Illinois, <laughs> you know? And so I just automatically like chunk it out. And then people keep on saying Southern Vermont, Northern Vermont. So I was like, oh, that's Northern Vermont. So that's kind of how I came to that, like, understanding of, of Vermont when I first got here. Um, so I guess I didn't really give it that name. But I would say, like, the biggest differences are that I see a little bit more representation in northern Vermont, probably because it's such a big city up there, um, of the queer community. But kind of in Vermont as a whole, like, one thing that I think, you know, in St. Louis and Kansas City, I mean, anywhere I've been, really, any place I've ever lived or just visited, they always had, like, an infrastructure. And I don't feel like I've found an infrastructure in southern Vermont for the queer community, especially being, like a person of color and a person who is queer, like, you know, it just doesn't, it didn't, I don't feel it. It's like, there are no places for us to like go. There are like no, no bars. There are no clubs. There are no lounges. There are no like coffee shops. Like, you know, and a lot of these places have like entire queer ecosystems that you could go in and just move about safely for the most part. So I think that Southern Vermont doesn't, doesn't have that. Another Vermont like it has a little bit of that, uh, a little bit more of that. Um, but still, I mean, people who like live up there in Burlington area tell me that they, you know, want a whole lot more. So that's like the biggest difference. And it w- it kind of was like when I first got here, because there is a lot of queer folks in Vermont. It's like a huge population of queer people, but at the same time, people under that umbrella. But for like, I guess like a kind of a more city type black gay guy it was not 
there was not any of that. And so I felt kind of alone for a long time. Um, so I branched out into like New Hampshire and to Massachusetts a little bit, but I also just traveled a lot. So like, yeah. And I find that a lot of folks of color who live here kind of say that like they travel a lot or they have other places where they're rooted and which kind of sucks because I would like for like there to be like a community here, but there ain't really, there really ain't. And then like the couple of brown guys that I knew all seemed too connected for me. And I'm like, mm, I don't know if I want to be in those circles. <laughs> so it's just like, you know, so yeah, I digress. Thank you for sharing that and giving that testimony. Um, if I may pivot back, um, well, to, to it, it relates. <laughs> um, but you talked about Costa Rica and how Tinder uh, would ping, as it were, and sing, as it were. And um, it sounded almost as if you were saying not so much here, um, in Vermont, in this part of the, the world. And I wondered, also hearkening back to our pre-interview interview that we had, if you could speak a bit about the, the notion of being seen but not seen. Yeah, it is really, it's weird, it, it felt weird at first. Um, yeah, it's hard to explain it. Like, cause it's not even necessarily a racial thing all the way. Cause for example, like whenever I was in Kansas city, whenever I was in St. Louis, whenever I've, you know, um, pretty much been anywhere, people of all different backgrounds would approach me or, you know, I would approach them. We, we, we would, you know, have conversation. But when I came to Vermont, it was just like, such a huge cultural difference. And I felt like a lot of folks here, like the, like like that were my age that were like living here were really like, I guess there's this thing called granola. I don't really subscribe to it, but like there was like this more like granola kind of culture where it's like a lot of backpacking and a lot of hiking. And don't get me wrong. Like I like to hike and backpack or whatever too, but like, like they would do like every weekend, right? So that's, there's like a culture built around like a certain lifestyle that Vermont, especially Southern Vermonters had. And at that, especially in 2015, I didn't really know that many folks of color here yet. Like I've met, I've met more as I've kind of lived here. So anyway, it just felt very isolating. And it was like, even if you'd meet somebody who like you thought you might vibe with a little bit, the cultural part, was off. There was no way. There was no reference to culture, and I think I think Costa Rica was just purely about. I mean, there wasn't as much cultural reference either. But I think Costa Rica was just purely about me fitting more closely into whatever beauty centers that they had. Because I think that I think when I was in Costa Rica, a lot of people thought that I was just from there unless I started speaking. Especially if I had on clothes that like mimicked the culture, like you know the way like very like airy light kind of clothes like almost like pajamas, but outside and you got like an unbuttoned shirt a little bit and you're just like vibing. Yeah, a little bit of that, yeah. They wore, like I saw like, 
there was a lot of a lot of v-neck type stuff it's a lot of skinny jean kind of culture it reminded me almost of la i don't know if you've ever been to la but like it no okay so like in LA, a lot of people wear like V-necks and like very tight shirts and like skin. It was kind of a little bit like an LA culture, but like, but like think, think LA, but like dressed to be a little bit warmer than LA and a little bit more like, like Central American and like the, like the expression of color and all that. So like, no, but they beautifully dressed and it was cool. But yeah, anywho. <laughs> I don't even remember where I was going with that. I might do some redirection, but it, it was it was mostly um what I was driving at was I mean sort of in the realm of dating difficulties and like well you were talking about cultural differences, not so much racial, but cultural differences as far as meeting folks in Vermont and oh. the difficulties around that. So you know what, like being like a person who I didn't identify as black and mixed, and I grew up in like a heavily black African American culture, but also like a Polish culture too, because my mom is, you know, uh, she's white and her culture is like more Polish. It was just very different than up here. It was just, uh, both, both of those expressions are very different. Even in Costa Rica, like, you could find friends or people who you dated. And I was only lived there for like, I didn't live there that long, but it's one of those things where it's like, or I shouldn't even say dated because I didn't live there long enough to officially date heavily, but I was there long enough to just like make some really good connections and talk to really cute guys and stuff. So it was one of those things where it's like, you could, you could, you could draw the cultural connection, even though we were from different places. Like there was enough like African influence. There was enough like, Whatever was there, like, for example, in Costa Rica, they have this um, province called Limon, Limon province or whatever it's called. And that's where, like, all the Caribbean folks are at. And so a lot of the guys from the Limon province or whatever would, you know, hit me up or would try to talk to me. Like, there's a connection there between our African ancestry. Here, it was just kind of like, when I first got here especially, everybody was, like, woke. But, like, nobody knew how to even talk to, like, I felt like nobody my age knew how to talk to a black person. Like, or like I will say things like I remember I went on a date with this guy and he says to me, I kid you not, I had on I think it was like it's like an Armani shirt. It was like a nice shirt. It was like a nice date. I'm like, okay, this guy seems cool. He was like a white guy, he was cute. You know, I went on this date with this guy. I get I think it was our second date or third date. And first of all, our first date, well, I'm not even gonna tell you where it was at because I just feel like I don't want to put too much of his business out there. But like, it was, you know, if I'm in your area and you're taking me out, then like, take me somewhere nice, you know? It was not, it was just not, and maybe that was the city stuff coming, I don't know, but it was just not to my, I'm just like, ooh, Lord, this is interesting. But I was like, I'm just gonna give him some grace. <laughs> you know, like, I'm gonna give him some grace because I would, so, because he was really nice. So I get into the car on the third date with this Armani shirt on that had like a tiger on the front, like a tiger print, because I love my animal print shirts. And I mean, I thought it looked pretty cute. I had on like black skinny jeans, like, you know, a nice tiger shirt on. It was, it was like a very expensive shirt. He says to me, oh, that shirt is so ghetto fabulous. And I said, I, ca I can't handle this. Like, this, I'm like, you're wearing a flannel, okay? This shirt, 
costs more than your outfit <laughs> you know like and i'm not even like i'm not even that kind of like bougie type person but like that was my response like i felt like he meant him i was just like he obviously doesn't know this brand but it, it just bl- it blew me it really blew me like i was just like whoo jesus so there were a couple interactions like that so like i mean even if there was some like sexual attraction or intellectual attraction or whatever attraction it was just like, like that cultural piece. I was like, who would, I would never say that to somebody. Like, like, do you even know what ghetto fabulous means? Like, would you, why would you say that to me? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I'm like, what kind of assumptions are you making? So that kind of ended after that. I was just kind of like, I'm going to like fall back. So there has been a couple interactions like that. Um, and to be honest, to be quite frank with you, I just felt like I was a little too black. Um, and uh you know for a lot of a lot of the a lot of my peers but like i said that is changing that has changed um as i've met a lot more people of color and a lot more like white folks who are really not subscribing to that but that was not my like first experience here in vermont at all so yeah just being real yeah that that belongs on some like dating horror story uh something for sure because yeah oof i was that like, must have been so uncomfortable oh and i and i got into his car so like i felt like i couldn't just like run away or like get up and walk away i felt it was just it was awkward the whole date was just that was the beginning of the date we were i had got into his car to go somewhere and it was just like you know what like i'm not i'm not feeling this like i knew at the beginning of the date, I'm like, I'm just gonna make it through the date, <laughs> you know? And I was like, and I'm done. Like, I'm I'm out. As soon as I got out of the car, I was like calling my cousins. I'm like, this bitch, you know, he called me ghetto fabulous. Like, <laughs> woo. Yeah. You are a therapist. That is your profession. So I wanna talk about what led you on that path and um, what it means to you. Yeah, so, I mean, there are so many things that led me on that path, honestly. It's hard to even pick one, but I would say that my work um, in conflict resolution and my humanitarian service are the two biggest pieces that led me to that path because I ran into so many people along the way in those, on those two, like, pathways that just needed services and had no access and like so you know it was just it was heavy and then I and then I also you know being part of the queer community um in a predominantly black area at that time I did have friends who were impacted by um HIV and um they just did not in my opinion receive adequate services um, especially around like mental health, because it's really hard, especially for like a, a black person um, to get a diagnosis and you're in a system that is not like conducive to like holding you in, in a way that you should be held. And so like I had friends of mine who would like learn about not only just HIV, but just all kinds of things, but HIV was really pivotal for me. Um, 
And I have friends who would learn about their status and then like they would be sent to like therapists um, or they would receive some sort of like mental service and it would be like traumatic for them. And so I just noticed that that started to happen a lot and not even just with that in that vein, just a whole lot of different veins. And so it just led me into uh, wanting to become a therapist. And I was either going to go to law school or I was going to do therapy. Um, and I was like, I think I can have a, a bigger impact as a, as a therapist. People would call me all the time and talk to me about their problems. Along so before that, I was like that, I was that friend. And so um, like the listening friend or whatever you call it. So yeah, that's kind of what led me there. And I've just kind of been there. And I'm still working towards, because I came in an untraditional route. So like I'm getting my PhD um, and I took all the master's courses, leveled up to, to PhD and I'm getting my licensure through my PhD instead of through my master's. And so, but I am, I am actively treating clients. I do have a roster um, and I'm also teaching. I'm also teaching a supervision. So I'm teaching master's level therapists how to actually deliver therapy um, in a culturally competent way. So, yeah, that's kind of what led me. I would say I would say life experiences and and the need to like serve in like a more direct way than like well, I shouldn't say more direct, but like a different and a more talk therapy, diagnosing, giving giving the right diagnosis even way um uh than like law could afford me. So I think a lot of folks are going to be happy that you are in that field and made that choice because what we definitely need more of is culturally confident is such an interesting phrase. <laughs> it's just like not anti-black therapists is really what we need, you know, but um, until the language changes, until the language changes, culturally competent, we will go with. Um, but you're yeah. right. Anti-blackness all the way. It's what it is. I mean, I, very grateful that you are in the field that you are in. That's wonderful, I think. <laughs> For real. Um, pivoting back to politics now. Um, I know there are a couple of initiatives that you're working on. If you would tell us a bit about those so we can sort of uh, be educated as to what's really going on. So, yeah, so there is two things that I think are two passion projects that I'm a part of and that I'm working on through my various associations, you know, with the NAACP kind of stuff or just me as a human being person. But uh, one is the Land Access and Opportunity Act that uh, just is just now starting to hit the um, state house. And that one um, pretty much is designed to just like help increase folks of color, um, help increase their access to, to land ownership um, or land uh, stewardship and home ownership here in Vermont uh, and kind of look at and cut out some of those barriers to ownership. Um, or to access to land because a lot of times we don't we don't have that. And then the other one that I'm really passionate about right now, um, and I'm hoping we get off the ground pretty soon here, is um, a political academy that actually like helps folks of color who are interested in like running for like local office or maybe even statewide office, like learn the ropes. But not only learn the ropes, like 
you know, do some inflection and reflection and like, you know, help them figure out, you know, why they want to run, how they could be better speakers, all these things. Yeah. Well, thank you for that work that you're doing. That's um, very much needed. And um, I hope we'll be as effective as you want it to be. As Me it too. Yes, good luck with those. And um, I, I, is there any way that folks can help to advance these causes? Yeah, well, so for the uh, ACT, for the Land Act, um, you, there is an email that we have, or well, there's a doodle, uh, uh, whatever you call it, like a sign-up sheet. One of those apps, I forgot what it's called, that you can actually um, go on to uh, and if you email me, which my email for that would be president at Wyndham NAACP, um, dot org, and I can send you the link to the sign up. We can like get updates and things like that on the act and how it's going. And then if you want to be involved, then you would just like send me an email saying I want to be involved more heavily than just updates. We can figure out a way for you to become more involved. But like, if you're just like a person who's like, yeah, I don't want to be necessarily super involved, but I want to like do like a, a help. Like you could always like call, lobby your, um, or I shouldn't say lobby, but persuade your state lawmaker to support the um, act or, you know, make Facebook status, tag it, learn more about it and try, try your best just to promote it. Cause I really think that there's going to have to be some sort of a, of, of a push um, forward uh, from our community just to get folks more excited about it, which people are, people have been like hitting me up and it's been great. It's been a big thing, I think, but I'm just praying that we, it just, we get it done. So we'll see what happens, but. Right on. Um, so also um, in the political vein, I'm curious to know how you feel about a certain <laughs> current event <laughs> uh -oh. that is the um, uh, insurrection at the Capitol building um, recently that happened. I'm just really just curious about your, your fresh hot take on that, uh, what it means for the country, uh, things like that. Hmm. I have a lot of thoughts about it, honestly. I mean, I, you know, I had an interview, I think it was with VPR uh, a couple of days ago, and I, you know, said, said some of my thoughts on there, but I really do believe that we're like witnessing the slow but gradual fall of white supremacy. Now, I don't mean that so white supremacy is going to be over because we know that that's just you know, that's not really likely because of the foundation of our nation in some cases, in some, in some ways was built on white supremacy, right? I mean, slavery, the, uh, you know, uh, genocide of many, all indigenous communities, um, you know, uh, mass genocide of the indigenous community, um, the, you know, use and abuse of a lot of the Asian community. So like white supremacy is, is, is ingrained in a lot of our, a lot of our culture. But I think now where we're going as a society, as we get a lot more diverse and we have people who have these lineages in their bloodlines 
starting to get more public and advocating even more and with the rise of social media um, and connected and the way that's connecting us and connecting the diasporas and connecting black folks in the diaspora to other black folks in the diaspora or black folks on the continent of Africa and probably everybody else as well. I'm only speaking from my, from, for what I, you know, my own diaspora here, but um, it just connected us in a different way. And I think we're watching the fall of, of white supremacy and the rise of, of something else. And I'm hoping that by the time if I ever have grandkids, that, that they will be able to look back in history books and like recognize this as a pivotal moment. Um, and so I guess I saw the insurrection then um, that happened as like a reaction to uh, that, a reaction to that fall, to, 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 the, to the perceived falling of, of white supremacy, right? It's like folks are, folks who feel like they've benefited from this are really not liking um, where they believe the country is going. And I think Trump really represented something to them symbolically. And him losing was like a symbol of something that they just had to correct. And so I think they wanted to go and correct it. <laughs> so. What does Black queer culture in Vermont look like to you? Oh, Lord. Now you really didn't ask the question. Oh, um, I think it looks like it's growing. Um, I think it looks transient in that a lot of the Black queer folks I've met have come from other places, which is great. Um, I think that it looks... <sighs> I think that we could be better connected. Um, I think it looks gender non-conforming. You know, I think there's a lot of folks here from who have many different gender expressions, and I think there's there's a lot of beauty in that. Um, yeah, I would say that's th th those those are the big ones for me. I, that's I guess those are the big ones. But but also I um yeah I just feel I feel like you know as a brown queer person in Vermont, we still have a long way to go towards like making people feel more included and um accepted but still we're on a we're on a good path and so yeah i guess that's what I'll, i just, i guess i'll keep it short on that one i'll keep it short on that <laughs> i love that answer that's great um when do you feel most brown and out oh honestly i feel i always feel brown and out <laughs> And as you know, you know, coming out or whatever, whatever that is, I still, have, I have issues with this whole concept, but it doesn't, it doesn't even matter. Like coming out is like, whatever. Cause I, cause I feel like, especially brown people, we have to come out a lot, many times over. So like, I don't even know what that means, but whatever. Um, so I guess I feel brown out all the time, but I think I most feel brown out actually when I'm on the phone or when I'm with my other black and brown, brown and out people, and we're just like living or talking our like best life together um, and kind of like kikiing and whatever we want to do in the moment. So that's when I feel most, most brown and out, especially in this damn pandemic, I've learned that like being brown and out doesn't necessarily require a physical space. I can just, you know, so and when I'm walking down the street, 
and people will be looking at me, you know, and they're like, hmm, who are you? And I have on something that's a little bit more queer affirming. I'm like, yeah, I'm browning out. <laughs> so, yeah. Is tonight the Soul Food Sunday with the root people? I Do you know? Is. I think it is. I always Do you ever go to that? I So I used to go all the time. And okay. now I always have to miss them because my doctoral program like, for example, tonight I have to meet with a classmate. We're always doing a lot of work on Sundays. And so it's so hard to go. Um, but I do, they are pretty dope. I do like them. And I used to go all the time. And my, like, homegirl, like, Naomi. Ah, uh-huh. Yeah. And so, like, I love her. So I always want to go and say hi and pop in and see her. But I haven't been able to do that in a while. So I went to my first one recently. And it was wonderful. Um, it was Zoom, obviously. But- I used to cook a little bit when I, but back when I first started going, I used to always make a dish and bring it in. But yeah. now, it was it's a pot. It was a potluck sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. It was a potluck sort of thing, and I always wanted to make. I never made this for them, but I, I I'm really good at making like southern style dressing. But I never got to make it. But I used to make. Other it means things. like stuffing dressing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and then what? What do you pair with that? What do you? What does that accompany? Well, back home, well, it depends. But, 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 but that's, <laughs> I don't know if you ever grew up eating this, because this, and this might be from the straight up deep south. I don't know about you, but like we used to eat a lot of fish and spaghetti together. Ah. Yeah, like catfish and spaghetti. Or like if I did, if I did uh, dressing, then you'd have collard greens and turnips and some sort of fried, always, almost always fried. <laughs> right. Food. But also people are going more towards baked now, you know, but like it used to be like fried chicken or fried fish or, well, not really fish, usually fried chicken or maybe even like some sort of like roast with hot sauce. I don't know, but okay. that's, what I, that's what I put with it. Okay, okay. I mean, I was just in a, a group where it was just like a, one of those, like you said, like just, um, I was on that uh, new app called Clubhouse. Okay, yeah. yeah. And I was just listening in on a couple of different discussions that were happening because you, know, you have your different rooms so you could jump in them and listen to different political discussions or whatever. And there were people who I would say that were like really polarized on that like really misogynist sort of like, like you said, like not to put it on the hotep because I don't even, (laughs) no, I'm not saying it's it's that community because I don't, because I've met a couple people from that community who are like that's not how we really are or whatever. But I will say like that, like stereotype, like hotep stereotype. And they were in there like just the way that they speak about the trans community, the queer community as a whole, the women um it it does it is hard not to have like a really strong reaction and feel really polarized about it so I guess my question is like what I guess when I think about it I'm like I don't even know what middle ground looks like in that mm. conversation because I feel like their words were so violent and there was right. so violence in the words but then when I think about things like race I do think that there is more like, I think that you could have the conversation in a more nuanced way that's not as violent if you, you know what I'm saying, if you have it in the right way. And I think being mixed, like as a mixed person myself, those are things that I've thought about a whole lot of times. Like, how do you have those conversations, in, in, you know, in a way that like holds lineages, right? Because like, for example, we have soul food as like black folks, we have soul food. Then again, like my mother being like a, a person who like, always identified as like more like culturally kind of like Polish 
I'm not going to say she's like super like Polish or whatever, but she's like more culturally that way. Um, so like the foods that we ate, like you could, you could also taste, I don't, I guess the soul kind of in those too, right? Like you could see that like somebody made these dumplings for many, many, many generations and she learned it and she's really good at it. And you can taste that, you can taste that, that they're really well done, or you can taste that, you know, like stuff, different things that she would make had that, had that, uh, history in it as well. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Anyway, I don't know where that's coming from, but I do, I do think food and race and culture are also intertwined. Thank you so much for talking to us today, Stefan. It's been a joy and a treasure. Yeah, I'm happy to be here and I'm so glad that you invited me and it's fun. it was fun just to kind of relax and talk you know, about all the, you know, queer brown things that we like to talk about. So, and from all perspectives and yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank you.